If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mark and Sarah talk. Mark and Sarah talk. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. There's a hurricane blowing outside, but inside we're still talking about songs. Yes, I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship. Welcome to episode number 239 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am joined today, as ever, by the one woman who creates a hurricane in my heart, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Oh, this this just went to a strange place, but hello. <laughs> Right back at you. And we are both joined today, I am thrilled to note, by a very special guest who selected today's song. It is host of the great American pop culture quiz show, Taylor Cole. Taylor! Hello! Thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's a it's a dream come true, truly. Oh, well, I, I mean, we were so honored to be on the uh, special Taylor Surprise episode of the Great American Pop Culture Quiz Show, and uh, it's really overdue for us <laughs> to have you have you come by and talk about at least one song. So tell us what you picked out for us today and uh, your your journey to this song. <laughs> uh, sure. I chose the song uh, Alex Chilton by The Replacements. Uh, though Alex Chilton himself never had a song called The Replacements. That'd be a great uh, double back twist of fate. But it Ooh. is by The Replacements from their uh, 1987 album, uh, Pleased to Meet Me. Uh, it is probably my favorite song by The Replacements, uh, a band who I uh, have sort of had definitely have ups and downs with. Uh, <laughs> their 1984 album, Let It Be, is maybe my favorite just collection of songs on an album of all time period but i like this song a lot just because there's so many weird nooks and crannies to it and there's so many kind of tiny little specific moments to get into uh, that i don't know if i should dive into those right away but but ultimately it it sticks out to me as being one of the few songs about songs or songs about music uh, that actually work for me. A lot of times when you have pop musicians, you know, doing direct homages in their lyrics to, you know, either the idea of music itself or specific uh, musicians. A lot of times I find myself either like rolling my eyes or doing a little kind of just jerk off hand motion uh, <laughs> listening to those. But for sure. whatever reason, Which is really uh, weird when it's just because of the dentist office and you're like, yeah, I can't help myself. But my hand is going to do what my hand is going to do. <laughs> exactly. I've been thrown out of several dentist's office for this exact reason. 
but for whatever reason, this particular song uh, has always sort of resonated with me. Uh, it was actually my introduction to the band Big Star, of which Alex Chilton is a member, and and Paul Westerberg, the writer of the lyrics for Alex Chilton, uh, the kind of the leader of the replacements. Uh, references Big Star directly in the lyrics. Um, and then I have since become a big fan of the band Big Star. Uh, but my, so it was, despite the fact that it was this younger group kind of having this homage to an older musician, uh, my way into knowing about Big Star was sort of through this particular song in the reverse chronological order. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's that thing where it's, there's, I oftentimes roll my eyes at songs that are, oh, I love this other music and I'm going to try to do something that's like similar, but also my own. Uh, but for this, this one really just uh, works for me. Uh, part of four, and I don't want to go on too, too long, but the thing I always come back to about the replacements and Paul Westerberg, their sort of lead singer, uh, consistently is a, a quote that I have to at least, or a paraphrase that I have to attribute to Carrie Brownstein uh, of the band Slater Kinney and Wild Flag, uh, back when she used to do a lot of sort of commentating for NPR on their music podcasts in the mid-2000s or so. She at one point said of Paul Westerberg, uh, when Paul Westerberg sings something, you just believe that it's true. Uh, and he doesn't have, you know, what might be considered the most uh, tuneful or beautiful, uh, you know, classically, classically beautiful voice. But when it's that thing where you just you listen to what he's saying and as nonsensical or goofy or unthought out as it may be, I always have just read it as like, well, that guy fully believes what he's singing. And uh, to have it in something that feels a little bit more personal and anthemic than in some of the more detached lyrics on other replacement songs, uh, this is one that I will always, always come back to. Hmm. Well, I had uh, I had quite a journey to this song as a college student who was trying not to be a top 40 kid and not <laughs> doing so well at it most of the time. But let's hear a clip first, and then we can uh, really dig into the song Alex Chilton. Mm -hmm. Here's a clip. I'm uh, glad that that little guitar break was clipped because it's one of my favorite parts of the song. Um, I don't think I'd heard this song in 25 years. Um, I was delighted to return to it. I was definitely one who backed into the replacements via Paul Westerberg's contribution to the single soundtrack, dyslexic heart which mm. even saying it out loud i'd feel cringy on behalf of a number of people <laughs> including myself um the but i like so tried to be like that person who natively liked the replacements and put like shooting dirty pool on mixtapes and was like no this is who i am it i mean <laughs> it kind of kind of wasn't <laughs> who I was, but I did listen to this album a lot. I did bond with this song and with Can't Hardly Wait, which I think was the big single mm -hmm. from this album, which Alex Chilton apparently played on. But here's the funny thing. I assumed that Alex Chilton was dead 
Like, that's why the song was about him. I, like, so when Alex Chilton died t- 10 or 12 years ago, I was like, oh, he was alive this whole time. <laughs> I apologize to the estate of Alex Chilton. Um, yeah, this song is like, it just is so perfectly, even though this album came out in, um, in the late 80s, this song is very like 1991 or 1992 to me. But in a good way, in that like um, sort of college rock, um, like, well, Wilco likes them, so so will I kind of way that um, I just think there's a certain sound of that time that the replacements were like vanguards of. And then this is sort of, but this is sort of much more, um, of a fun sound than you would expect from like once we all sort of got mired in grunge, like just sort of poppy rock like this was not poppy college rock was like it, it wasn't okay to enjoy things anymore unless you were candlebox. Um so Mark, what is your what's your history with this band, if any? My history with this band starts when uh Taylor suggested that we <laughs> talk about this. <laughs> okay. I knew the name Paul Westerberg. I knew the name The Replacements. I have seen the film Can't Hardly Wait maybe five times, so I'm sure I've heard the song Can't Hardly Wait before. But until preparing for this, I don't think I was ever conscious of hearing a Replacements song before. Uh, the journey that I took in listening to this was kind of what Tyler uh, Taylor just described, where I then realized I had also heard of Big Star, but had never heard their music. So I started listening to them and then pieced together, listeners who may not know this, that of course, Alex Chilton is also the lead singer of the Box Tops, which had an enormous hit in the 60s with The Letter, My Baby, She Wrote Me a Letter, or She Wrote Me... Anyway, he was a teen success and then never had another major hit after the two hits he had with the Box Tops but then became this very influential figure to basically every alternative rock slash power pop band ever. Mm -hmm. And his story, Alex Chilton's story is so interesting because it seems like that he lived a very troubled life. He had moments of success followed by moments of great destitution. He seemed to never quite feel comfortable with his fame or with his adulation. So interesting stuff from an anthropological point of view. And the other thing that I think is so interesting, if you are in any way concerned about the anthropology of popular music, which you probably are if you listen to the show, (laughs) I listened to Alex Chilton, and though I don't remember ever consciously hearing it before, it it felt like a puzzle piece snapping into place Mm -hmm. because it's like, oh shit, this is actually everything I liked in the 90s. And then going back further to the Big Star albums, I was like, oh, my God. Big Star is the mitochondrial Eve of all of the music (laughs) that I enjoyed in the 90s. So there's this really bizarre sensation that maybe has a name, I don't know, of hearing something for the first time and immediately feeling like I've always known it. Because it is... Prescaview? Sure. Prescaview sounds like... I mean, that's uh, probably wrong. You keep talking. I'm going to Google it. (laughs) Okay, but I've heard it for the first time and felt like I'd always heard it because the DNA of Big Star is in everything. It's in the Counting Crows. It's in the Gin Blossoms. The guy, Paul Westerberg, sounds like the guy, and I know that I'm now 
conflating big star and the replacements, but you know, like it's all like part of the same mix. Like mm-hmm. the guy from Goo Goo Dolls sounds like Paul Westerberg. The Goo Goo Dolls music sounds like all of this music. Obviously, REM sounds like all of this. So I had this experience of discovering something I've known forever, and that was fascinating. Uh, yeah, and 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 it turns out uh, since you're dropping REM, my other favorite replacement song, a song called "I Will Dare" from a few years before this one, uh, features not only a guitar solo by Peter Buck dropping in, but it also has Paul Westerberg playing the mandolin on that track. You know, seven years before "Losing My Religion," right. which is then in turn, you know, eight years before the mandolin on "Iris." It's it's the that's that perfect continuum. I, wow. And it's just. I find that kind of stuff really exciting because as much as we would like sometimes to believe uh, through the forces of marketing that every musician stands alone and we get all caught up in who's truly original, no music is truly original. And it's really exciting to be able to trace such clear lines because it reminds you that culture is created in a familial way. And I really, really like seeing more of the tapestry that I had not seen before. Um, well, I had a, I actually had a question, sort of like a, a, a poser for the two of you. First, I would like to know, Presque View is the um, sensation of having something on the tip of your tongue and you can't quite get to it. So that's totally not what you were saying. I was incorrect. Please <laughs> add us with the term that we're talking about. I, it's not deja vu, it's something else. Um, here, here's the actual question. Uh, would you, for, in two parts. First of all, would you agree that um, the replacements were cool at like hip, and the lemonheads were not? And B, why is that so? If you agree, is, why was that? That's so? That's incorrect. I actually can't even allow you to finish the question. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> the lemonheads recorded a song called Knoxville Girl, and if you were from Eastern Tennessee in that period, that made them awesome. I will brook no Evan Dando shade on this podcast or any other. <laughs> oh, I'm not shading. I'm just saying it was my perception 30 years ago that like <laughs> the Lemonheads and the replacements were um, like orally to me quite similar, but yes, that apparently the Lemonheads were like, oh, well, they had a video in constant row with It's a Shame About Ray. So they're like sellout douches, but the replacements are cool. So this is so interesting because this is where our age difference really matters, Sarah, because I didn't know who the replacements were and I did know who the Lemonheads were. So perforce Which for me. Which is why, yeah, probably, like, in my set, that it was like, pff, you know, like if you're whatever, if your younger sibling heard of the Lemonheads, then that's out. Like, okay. Because they were on the radio. Yeah. The replacements and so did me, not tend I, to be. At, at 13 or 12 or whatever, I, I I only had one reference point, and I bought multiple Lemonheads albums. So anyway, Taylor, your thoughts? It's interesting for me because I think then our uh, the, my age difference to the both of you is going to show itself a little bit in that uh, I didn't discover the replacements until probably 2007 or so. Uh, mm-hmm. through probably listening to uh, sound opinions on Chicago public radio. Uh-huh. Uh, but at that point, the replacements had, at this point, sort of, 
again, entered this almost nostalgia or sort of, you know, quote, legendary level of coolness that you're describing, Sarah. And the Lemonheads had already sort of become, you know, something of a punchline by the time I ever would have heard of them. Right. And, and it's at the point where if I am listening to something like, you know, Sound Opinions, which is not traditional, you know, top 40 terrestrial radio. But for me, the replacements are the ones I was more likely to hear on the radio or have in my sphere of influence. It's almost like I would have perceived them as being the more mainstream act uh, by the time I discovered them to the point where the mm -hmm. Lemonheads had become kind of a footnote. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's interesting how that, it's interesting how that works. And, um, like, it's especially interesting to me that, like, especially when you're talking about music in this, I'm going to say six or seven year period, like 87 to 93 or four. And like the, the sort of crossing the streams that Mark was talking about earlier, that I, I have such strong associations with a lot of it but then a lot of it is also about like uh, i don't know um college rock shame <laughs> like mm -hmm. you know that I, I was like dating a prb dj and there was shit that you know shit you're supposed to like and shit you're not supposed to like and if you were listening to jesus jones and someone caught you <laughs> you had to pretend you were doing it ironically uh, that's fucking still a great song and I stand by that and we should talk about it sometime. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the way that that is all wrapped up for me in like carefully constructing mixtapes um, that were like, you know, it was stuff I liked, but it was still stuff that was like obscurely cool and, and B-side when really I would rather have just loaded it up with Madonna and the Lemonheads, but that's not how <laughs> you can roll with... <laughs> Straight hey, dudes in 1991. That's that just wasn't. That wasn't this is reminding me. There's a podcast called Decoder Ring that recently did a brilliant episode on selling out and how it's not possible to do that anymore. And it really investigates this exact thing, Sarah, of like the the time that you just described was the peak of anxiety among yes. a certain type of person that you would be a sellout. And now the concept of selling out is so foreign. And we've talked about this many times before, and I think you feel the same way based on what I've heard you say in the past and just now. I'm so relieved that is over. Yes. God, yes. Mm -hmm. And just confidential to uh, our esteemed colleague and multiple times past guest, John Ramos, who right now is like, tell the Super Chug story. Um, there's... There's not much of a story. One of my college roommates was like, oh, Super Chunk. I used to listen to them in high school. Like, oh... Really, because they just formed this year. Like the, the, <laughs> the pressure to be the pressure to like, you know, if you know, you know, no, yep. was um, intense, and uh, she succumbed. But she also tortured us with uh, Sophie B. Hawkins repeatedly that same year. So <laughs> I, I'm just gonna let her take her punishment without naming her. <laughs> well, Taylor, you're uh, again, you're younger than both of us. I wonder what your perspective is on the notion of selling out and how it did or didn't impact your relationship to music. Uh, well, it's interesting. A, I listened to that decoder ring episode literally yesterday as of the time of this recording. So uh, it's a nice bit of coincidence there. Uh, for me, I, I do I, I don't feel about it one way or the other. Like I'm certainly mm. glad it's not a huge, you know, 
part of the culture of like, oh, you're, you know, you're a sellout. Uh, I, I will admit in high school to being a big fan of the band Five Iron Frenzy, which was a uh, Christian alt third wave ska punk band uh, and one of their biggest songs. Hmm? <laughs> I think oh, my yes, neurons exactly. just melted hearing you put those words together in that this order. Is, this yes. is the kind of thing that 30 years ago we would just assume you're making this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> like unverifiable hipster bullshit and yet with such good detail, very convincing. I mean, obviously you're not making it up. Please continue. <laughs> One of their, you know, the closest thing they had to a, a hit was a song called Handbook for the Sellout. And this song is probably from 1997 and literally is just like openly chastising anyone who ever from who they ever knew who became more successful than they did. Um, and it, at thinking about that song now, it just seems like petty and small and jealous. Uh, the idea of like chastising sellouts, uh, because, oh, you didn't have the fame yourself. And it it's this very strange sort of like walking a line between irony that also feels performative. And it, it the idea of the culture surrounding what it means to sell out as, you know, as far as it existed in the mid 90s or my perception of it existing from the mid 90s, which mostly consists of having seen the movie Reality Bites one time. <laughs> uh, but it feels like this strangely like, obligation of a performative notion of authenticity that that yeah yes. now that i'm saying it out loud i'm glad that's over because it sounds like it was just a pain in the ass for all parties involved it it really was and then once you got to like a sort of performatively packaged glossy boy band trl era it was like oh thank god we can stop having that version of this conversation <laughs> um but uh, I actually believe that the song I Want It That Way is one of the most important songs in making this conversation stop because there was something about that song in the late 90s where everyone was just like, you know what? This shit is good. Yeah. <laughs> like Republicans knew that song. Like, OK, <laughs> we're, we're done here. But it, it also sort of reminds me of uh, that Boston punk band, The Queers. We had mm -hmm. a lot of songs about, um, I mean, they have one called I Can't Stop Farting, and then there's another one called Ursula Finally Has Tits. Like, this is not a, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not talking second order desires here, but uh, <laughs> they also have a number of songs across various albums about how fucking broke they are. Like, there's one song about, like, calling everyone they know to borrow five bucks, and then the mo their mom hangs up on them in the last bars of the song, and then the... The, another one called it's like a surf rock punk song called born to do dishes and uh like they're always kind of like the the attitude is we wish we could sell out because we're eating beans from the can right <laughs> D doesn't and anyone want to buy our song help i can't stop farting <laughs> that's amazing like, i guess i, I own it in two media so, so someone <laughs> out there tried to help <laughs> I think you may have just stumbled into our outro music for this episode. <laughs> and, and I Always. guess that the trade-off is that now we get an endless stream of songs from artists about how hard it is to be famous. But, you know, say lovey. Well, and that, I mean, mm -hmm. that, started, that started. I mean, obviously, yes, ago. that's been going on forever. Yeah. Poor Brian Wilson. And th that is... That is to a certain degree part of the sort of cultural appeal around the replacements to me in mm -hmm. that there was this... this you know, like you look at their 
album cover particularly to let it be it's just like four kind of you know gross looking guys sitting on a roof uh and there's this you know elements of uh, there's literally a line in i will dare which now i'm thinking maybe it would have been the better song because i seem to have more to say about it than alex chilton uh where they just like there's a line bacon and cigarettes a lousy dinner like there's something that's just sort of <laughs> lo-fi and broke like you're saying uh about that that has always sort of made them appealing but then when you look at something like alex chilton which sort of almost sort of throws i mean there are sort of references to westerberg you know meeting alex chilton when he's broke in the late 70s and in the in new york city but there is this sort of larger anthemic kind of otherworldly quality to it uh that that takes some of that you know expectation about the replacements of these just sort of you know broke guys from minneapolis and it it elevates it for me where it, it feels like they're going outside of themselves in a way that i don't can't think of a lot of their other songs that do that well i am so glad that we are talking about alex chilton and i'm glad that we've managed to steer the ship back around to that song because i think it speaks so well to some of the things we've already been discussing one being that alex chilton is such a happy song yeah it's like you, if mm-hmm. you don't pay attention to the yeah. lyrics if you don't really you can just like enjoy this song which seems to violate the code of ethics that we've all just been but, but it's also like, a song about enjoying a song. Yes. <laughs> and in perfect, in fucking perfect Gen X form, <laughs> the deep irony of the chorus where he imagines millions of children singing along to the songs of Alex Chilton, which of course never happened because Big Star was never a really mainstream band. Like he manages to somehow write a song about ardently loving a musician and still make a complicated ironic statement about selling out and it somehow is still an effervescent listening experience so it's kind of like the jewel that you can look at to observe all of the many facets of sellout culture is something i'm realizing as i say it right now and i think that to your you know to everyone's points earlier about like the um the sort of family tree of um, poppy college rock that the, you know, it, he did have sort of at least dozens of children in terms of other bands that came after big star mm-hmm. and revered Alex Chilton. So that it works, that metaphor works on, um, on a couple of levels and that may not be intentional, but also like one of the things I do like about, uh, Westerberg product generally is that he's like, this is the system of metaphor and I'm not going to stand back from it and wait for you to sign off on it or not. Like, we're just going to do this song. And then it's done. Like, uh, which I like because there's a lot of pondering of one's own treasure trail of poesy in in, uh, college rock of this era that is like, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. fine, but it's not fun. So. Right. He likes his job. And the funness. You gotta like that. And the funness of the song for me, it definitely took over because I probably listened to the song dozens of times before I really ever thought to ponder the lyrics at all. That's maybe just a general quirk of me is that I'm not normally a lyrics person. I love the human voice as an instrument, but it takes a while for me to actually like start to think to pay attention to lyrics and doubly so with this song because it's just uh, on a just sort of a technical level in terms of the arrangements of everything. Uh, there are so many other things that I'm just vibing with uh, so hard. In fact, the the moment that I clipped where it's that sort of break right into the guitar solo uh, is a 
a thing that I, every time I hear the song, if I'm in a place where I can be standing and have a little place to go, uh, particularly back when I was in my uh, camp counselor days and was spending <laughs> a lot of time outside in open spaces uh, and would force, uh, whenever they had the big speakers out for like, you know, outdoor camp events and things, would force people to play this song and people would roll their eyes at me. Uh, but if there was an open space right in that sort of moment that hangs right before the guitar solo comes in, I would try to jump in the air and time the landing of my feet uh, to the first sort of big hit of that guitar solo. And I would get a million eye rolls uh, as I, you know, eye roll at other songs as we've discussed previously. But it is one of those things where it just like, there's this physical takeover that the sort of poppy jauntiness of the song uh, that I, I just can't uh, escape, or at least couldn't in my early 20s. So in telling that story, you've identified perfectly why you are such a good guest for our show. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. I was like, ha haven't we heard this story before? Haven't I told this story before? Oh, no. It's just exactly what one of us would do and has done many times before. <laughs> do you know the song Angels by Robbie Williams? I can't say that I do. Okay, so Robbie Williams was a member of the band Take That. He was a huge solo star in England. He never really crossed over very much in America, but he has this power ballad called Angels, and there's this one moment where the music stops, and then he hits the key change note. And if I was ever in the car with another person when that song was on, I would always, when he hits that big note, turn on the windshield wiper fluid so that we got this dramatic burst of water to... <laughs> Oh my God! That's. I mean, that's the number amazing. of stoplights have been at where I'm like, I don't appreciate being stopped during this portion of the Donna's. <laughs> I don't care where they go into the guitar solo, but since we're all here, I'm rolling down the windows and air guitaring at other people in the intersection. Yep. Get the knack. <laughs> it's a fucking great guitar break. Recommend. You're welcome. Oh, shit. This is also reminding me of the time that I was, we were in a traffic jam on our way to the Sweetwater Brewery in Atlanta, which was the local brewery that gave tours every Thursday or something. And if you paid $10 to take the tour, you also got to drink as much beer as you wanted. <laughs> so it was like, uh, okay. So I can remember so clearly us being in the car, stuck in traffic, trying to get over there. And on the radio came... Uh, it's all coming back to me now by Celine Dion. <laughs> and I was performing such a dramatic interpretation of the song in the car that people in other cars applauded when it was over. Amazing. <laughs> uh, well, the way uh, the way that Donna's song uh, story sometimes ends is that um so my brother or someone he works with points out that i'm using violin fingerings for the air guitar <laughs> but like look i i have limited skills everyone's just doing their best i i also just am so glad that we're talking about a song that can bring us to this type of place because <laughs> it is a song that's meant to be enjoyed and Big Star was making music that whatever Alex Chilton's personal demons might be, I hear those songs now, and I think these are songs that were meant to be enjoyed. They aren't necessarily songs like Soundgarden songs, which are meant to be enjoyed in a darker way, where they're mm -hmm. because they're excavating a lot of your pain, or like Dashboard Confessional songs or whatever. There's just something so um, intelligent about the design of the joy 
in these in this song and in so many of the songs that were inspired by it. And I really like that. And even though on that replacements, uh, REM Goo Goo Dolls chain, Goo Goo Dolls are clearly the most corporate. They're like mm-hmm. the corporate endpoint of this trajectory of sound. Even the Goo Goo Dolls, I'm like not mad at all their music. So I think that there's a lot to be happy about with regard to what Alex Chilton started and what the Rembrandts were sensitive enough to chronicle so specifically. The replacements, you mean? What did I say? The Rembrandts, which I That's think not, oh my we're God. leaving it in. I thought he was like going, I guess the, the theme to Friends does sort of fit on this continuum somewhere. God, the Rembrandts. Oh, God. This is now Mark gets fired from his own show. I of course, the replace. I, but in the context of what you were talking about and like that sort of artistic um, joy and control that your brain went to a painter. Uh, I mean, right. oh. or the guys that wrote the friends theme, whatever, six of one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, bo- both Alex Chilton, the song by the replacements and the theme to friends have uh, hand clap sections that you can't not do along with the song when you're listening to them. Now, there that is. is the damn truth. This is how a trivia host ties it together and bails us out. <laughs> Taylor Cole, thank you so much for joining us. Please come back. Bring us other songs that we can uh, that we can enjoy selling out to. Oh. This has been a <laughs> It delight. would be my absolute pleasure. Uh, where else can listeners find you? Uh, sure. You can hear me uh, every Monday on The Great American Pop Culture Quiz Show, a uh, kind of movie, music, TV trivia podcast I do with uh, David T. Cole, uh, Sarah's extra hot great compatriot, and Dan Casino. Uh, if you like just general pop culture trivia, please check us out there. And then every other Friday, you can hear me chatting about movies with my pal Greta on G&T with Greta and Taylor. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkAndSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, TalkAboutSongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. I'm so good when I never save a dime. Born to do dishes. I was born to do dishes. I was born to do dishes. And my mom's really bummed out. Mark and Sarah talk. Mark and Sarah talk. More. And Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. 
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.